When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. And what's the premise here? It's that I know too much about the Rock Hall. It has followed me from my childhood to now, and now you all have to listen to it. You're listening to it uh, by choice, but you know who's kind of listening to it not by choice exactly is my co-host, the skeptic, she is being held hostage uh, on some level. Kristen stuttered. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Joe. Still, still casting after all these years. Uh, <laughs> no one, no one can see that I've blinked twice, several times. <laughs> yeah, you're looking I'm for a way to... out, but then yeah. blinking twice on a podcast on an audio format doesn't exactly work. Sadly, it hasn't uh, happened for me. You have to figure out some other cues to get someone to rescue you from from your prison, um, Kristen. <laughs> Kristen, yes. Do you remember what we're in right now? What oh God! The podcast. Okay, I remember Berkselance because I hate mm-hmm, it so mm-hmm. much. Is it Musepemberkselance? Mu- yes, you nailed it. <sighs> we are in Musepemberkselance, September's <sighs> celebration of the Rock Hall's musical excellence category, which there are three inductees for that this year. Uh, We went through the history of the category. We talked about Billy Preston, and we are going to be talking about heavy metal guitarist Randy Rhodes today with our guest who I will bring in. He is joining us from Toronto. He is a guitar player, a musician, author, educator, many hats. Sean Kelly. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Great. We're we're so uh, excited to have you. And thank you for having me. I'm excited to do this episode. I'm realizing who we're talking about now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, something I know so little about. I'm excited. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Sean, kind of before we get into stuff, you know, usually our guests are either comedian friends of mine or they are music journalists. But I, I always love it when we get to talk to or editors of a documentary. Yeah, we, we, we spent a whole month talking to, that's true. We spent a whole month talking to ed- editors of documentaries. Um, but I really, I think it's very, very fun and insightful when we get to talk to musicians because there is a, a deeper understanding of the work. And I just want to give you the opportunity, and I know this is this is maybe quite a task to have you condense your career and life into a short little soundbite, but if we can talk a little bit about your background in music. Sure. Well, you know, I started off playing guitar. I was influenced by a lot of the 80s hard rock that was coming out around 84, you know, your Quiet Riots and your Twisted Sisters. Other bands that that rhyme with each other. (laughs) Uh, There you go. All the W bands, uh, you know, the White Lions, the Warrens, the Wingers, all that stuff. And all of that kind of pop hair metal stuff was the music I grew up on, still the music I love. It was exciting to hear we're going to be talking about Randy because I I really consider the work that Randy did with Ozzy the beginning of all that. That Mm -hmm. really was the beginning of pop metal where you actually have this kind of song craft uh, attached to this kind of 
Sabbatharian kind of heavy metal stuff, right? The mm -hmm. Black Sabbath riffs, but you got the pop melodies coming in. And uh, that's kind of what inspired me. And because of Randy, I actually learned how to play classical guitar, went on to study classical guitar at university, got a degree in that. And that led to all sorts of different opportunities. But uh, yeah, I've, I've done quite a few different things. I played with pop artists like Nelly Furtado, heavy metal bands like Helix and Lee Aaron, Coney Hatch, and played with a bunch of different people, done a bunch of different things. It'd be, it, it, it's, it's not an impressive resume. It's just that I'm old and it would take a long time to tell you what I do. <laughs> I don't know what else, but I'm also an elementary school teacher. I teach uh, instrumental music in elementary school. I'm an author. I'm working on my second book. I do a lot of stuff, but it's all based around music. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it is impressive. I'm not going to let agree. you take that away oh. from you. I think that is very impressive. I'm not going to lie. I'm intimidated because I have such respect for comedy and 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 the the genius and the intellect. So I'm going, oh man, I, I better have my oh, A game on here. No, like, you know? no, you have come to the to the wrong place <laughs> to be impressed. Uh, <laughs> do not worry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You, you, you're the one who should feel comfortable, and we, we are the ones who are, who are not worthy. Okay, so we, we've got a little bit of your background, and now since this is a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I'm curious: Are you coming into this show with any knowledge or experience with the Rock Hall? at all i know these lists these nominees and in inductees they those lists come out every year and there's induction ceremonies on tv every year what is your reference level well basically i'm going to tell you the, the, the thing with the rock hall and me is the two times i've cared about it i've had some had something to do with me being involved okay yes. so, amazing <laughs> the the first one was a manager of mine i had a band called crash kelly my own band and there was an instrumental track on that record he entered me in a guitar player magazine competition where somehow I got picked and I ended up being a finalist and I had to perform at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the theater there. Okay. Oh, wow. And the other thing was when I noticed that my book, my first book, Metal on Ice, which is a book about Canadian heavy metal in the 80s, was added to the library there. So I'm yeah. one of those people where I'm like, ah, oh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they don't like heavy metal, who cares? Until they do something that involves me, <laughs> then I think, you know, it's really an important institution and we have to honor it. That's a lot of people's experiences. It's mm -hmm. fuck the Rock Hall until it's like, thank you so much for the honor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's exactly, really right? a big 180. I think it's just, it's just there to reveal human nature, basically, mm -hmm. you know, when it invites you in. But but it, it's cool, right? Like, I mean, I watch the inductions. I love it. Are there any recent inductees that you remember being excited that they got in? I'm thinking of like the Def Leppard induction. And were you aware of maybe some of the more recent nominations of some? There were like heavier, harder bands on the ballot, not last year, but the year before. Yeah, like I think Priest was on there, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus Priest. Was Maiden yeah. on there? Did Maiden? Maiden was this year. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the nominating committee is trying to make strides with the pretty obvious exclusion of, of heavy metal in the ranks of the inductees. Last year, they maybe put too many on it, kind of canceled the votes yeah. out because you not only had Judas Priest, but you had Motorhead. Can I remember Motorhead? Okay, yeah. I was yeah, like, and it was <laughs> Judas Priest and Motorhead and... and Oh, Finn, those Finn were Lizzie. the two that I could remember. Lizzie, that's that's so a huge one. Lizzie was a huge one, yeah. And even even you know not that era, but Soundgarden was on the ballot, and they're a, they're a heavier than the hall is used to inducting. And hopefully that you know we're it should have happened a long time ago, but we're making inroads, and we can. I mean, the, I think the Randy Rhodes induction was a way for the hall to mm -hmm. acknowledge heavy metal, given that the 
voting body did not. I was thrilled by that just because uh, it speaks to a, a musicality that's in hard rock and heavy metal that's often overlooked. I thought that that was really a, a really great gesture. And and I loved it just for the exposure and the, mm-hmm. uh, the tip of the hat it, it paid to Randy's influence. So I thought that was great. I just had a genuine thought and feeling about metal in the rock hall and I'm going to share it. I thought to myself, you know, I think I'll be very happy truly happy when Maiden gets in. Like, I think I'll feel good about it because I think it will be really just exciting for all the metalheads who have cared for so long and they're a good band. And I think they're like one of the most representative of, you know, the most famous, if we're doing Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, one of the most famous of that genre. And I just thought to myself, hmm, I think I'll be very happy when Maiden gets in. And it's very rare that I'm happy when a white male band uh, gets in. uh, And it's rare that I have that feeling and we gotta share it and celebrate when it happens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah, it's it, those those bands. It's like they really they've been snubbed pretty hard. I mean, especially when you look at Judas Priest, mm-hmm. who you know are so foundational and set a template, or at least helped to popularize this whole genre. And the fact that they are still on the outside looking in is criminal. I do also think, though, with the 80s, you know, we've been talking about the 60s and the 70s, like the 60s is the go to era for any band that was playing in the 60s has a better chance of getting in than bands that were not playing in the 60s. And we have scraped out the 60s. We've been sweeping out the 70s. And I feel like as we get through the 80s, you know, we're kind of we're getting those new wave bands kind of inducted a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think there will come a time when the metal will break down the wall. Like, I think it will happen. And I I agree that this Randy Rhodes just straight induction is the hall saying, hey, voters, we are interested. It's basically like saying this belongs. Well, I think it's also like metal has proven that it can it can sustain itself quite well. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you see the business that they do as touring bands, mm-hmm. priest, especially Maiden, Maiden where they're now yeah. moving into stadium levels, right? They're in the kind of Metallica. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. You know, like that music has stood the test of time, arguably for a reason, uh, if, if validity is a question, you know, like, and, and it seems to be resonating with people. So it's it's great to see it kind of starting and I I agree I I think it is starting to get its due it's nice to see that people like to get their faces melted guitars (laughs) they really do it's It's not consistent (laughs) (laughs) they just live for it I you know it's not my I like music that I can dance to and I find Mm -hmm. headbanging to be painful but I do see the appeal and I think we're probably going to really get into this today but of just like virtuosic guitar shredding it is the definition of kick ass you know right right it's like yeah it's and it's timeless in a way it's like there mm-hmm. will always be an audience for that i guess and there's shades of it too right mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. not it's it's usually painted as like you know you know banging your head throwing mm-hmm. devil horns but there's 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 different variations of melody and texture and dynamics and all that stuff in heavy metal it's actually far more diverse than it's given credit for generally speaking, I think. Well, and I feel like there's a multitude of subgenres and they're, uh, yeah. <laughs> they are defined. Mm-hmm. They are. <laughs> Don't call something 
black metal when it is the Correct. another kind of metal when it's thrash or mm-hmm. right or I'm speed or speed. yeah there, there's many many different subgenres that I, i'm and, kind of at a loss and, but wait and wait and nwo new wave of british heavy metal right and yeah. w-o-b-h-m okay. yeah that's okay. it well, that's greg is happy right now the new Wolben. wait did, did you did, new Wolben? the new album oh new Wolben. that's uh all right that's the way you that's say it that's a thing that i've new heard Wolben. people say yeah because it does it's it's faster than saying new wave of british heavy metal or n-w-o-b-h-m as i just said new yeah. The Nuobum. The Nuobum. I like that. All right. Yeah, but this, so this is, uh, Randy Rhodes is being inducted in a side category this year. What used to be called Sideman is now called Musical Excellence. But It's now cate- called Muse Septemberculence. <laughs> and now for September, we call it Muse Septemberculence. But yeah, this category is built kind of for guys like Randy Rhodes. I mean, even if it was still called Sideman, it would fit Randy because it is meant for artists that aren't on the marquee. That you know their name isn't on the front of the album cover, but you know if you if you open it up and find out who's playing on it on these records, then there they are. They're kind of yeah. the secret sauce, and I I think that heavy metal could have more entries in this category of artists who can't be defined by just one thing. Like I think about Dio, yeah. Who mm-hmm. you know you could nominate Dio as a solo performer. But I don't think that completes the picture of Dio's contributions to music, because obviously he took over for Ozzy Osbourne in Black Sabbath and was the lead singer of Black Sabbath for a while and made pivotal heavy metal with that group. He was also part of the group Rainbow, which is another super important group. In addition to his solo work, so I think putting him in the musical excellence category could be a good place for him and Joe's out here legacy. planting seeds. Any rock hall people who listen, <laughs> anybody any insiders who listen, he's giving you some freebies. <laughs> and that's another way if we if we keep kind of utilizing these side categories to uh, get certain people in, we can maybe open the doors and open people's minds to the idea of heavy metal. If you had Randy Rhodes and then Dio in also, if they just got straight in the way that this category is used there, they don't have to be on the ballot. There's like a subcommittee of the nominating committee that basically just says we're putting these people in. So they just, they go, they skip the queue, they go straight in. And I just think it signals to the voters and to the public and to people, hey, we want more metal in the hall. Metal belongs here you know i'm all for genre diversity i'm all for diversity of all kinds within this stupid institution yeah for sure and i would say listen a lot of people hate the rock hall you can rely on that and it's it's across the board that's like the one thing that unites all peoples is that the rock hall is frustrating and annoying to them but i venture to say (laughs) <laughs> that perhaps the fans that hate the rock hall the most are the metal fans. And I think they are right in their frustration because at, rock at, fans probably don't love it too. Yeah. I think the time to get rush in there. 
I think they, I mean, they got rushed. They got rushed. They got we Genesis. Got. They got yes. And then that's about it. Who are the metal bands that are in? So if you're talking like, and then Sean, you can kind of help determine how metal these bands are. But I yeah, think if we're of, using the category correctly. Right. Metal, but I think of no, no subcategory. Obviously, you, Meta- Metallica is a metal band. I mean, it's mm-hmm. metal in the in the damn title. Uh, yeah. I think we can say that definitively. Black Sabbath, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, if, if not metal, they are godfathers of metal, you know. Oh, they're metal. Yeah. Yeah. And then beyond that, I think those are the two purest metal. I mean, Deep Purple is in. Yeah, like they're definitely hard rock. Um, right. And they're definitely an influencer of metal mm-hmm. and an influence on many metal bands, but I wouldn't categorize them as heavy metal. Right. And where do you think the Def Lep falls on the scale? To me, Def Leppard falls into that hard rock, even pop metal category. Sure. But mm-hmm. Because yeah, of the yeah. marketing and the, the, the marketing approach that was taken, especially mm-hmm. on the breakthrough albums, they were definitely, it wouldn't have been strange to see them on a bill with Oz. They were on bills with Ozzy or Choir mm-hmm. Riot mm-hmm. or, 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 you know, the metal bands at the time. And often they would have uh, on the stereo tour, they'd have like an LA Guns opening up for them on their on their tour or mm-hmm. Tesla. The hard, so hard rock where it was becoming pop metal is what I'd say. So I think they would disagree. I, I actually had a chance to tour with Def Leppard. I know Joe Elliott would say, we're not a fucking metal band, but I'm telling you right now, they would deny their metal. I think so, because really the, in its essence, the music's pop and glam rock influenced and classic rock influenced, but the, something in the guitars, the saturation of the guitars pushes it into that for me, that pop metal category, but I think you mm-hmm. they might disagree. Yeah, I would have thought of them as like, yeah, a hard rock hair metal band is some, but I guess they weren't as hair metal. They just got lumped mm-hmm. with all those guys, you know? We talked about them a lot during their induction. Oh, yeah. years ago, yeah. 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 To me, what, what's interesting about them, they're actually coming more out of almost like Foreigner where you have Mutt Lang making this really concentrated effort to make a pop, a techno pop, record out of hard rockers it's really like acdc runs into the cars and kind of makes yeah. this mm-hmm. thing right and where they probably thought they were really contemporaries of like the police or being cutting edge they still had the hard rock thing going on from their past and, and also the look and the way the, the look. logo looked. It's the, the look and the logo and the marketing that makes them seem harder almost than maybe they were and i guess <laughs> pour some sugar on me. I'm like thinking about the song, pour some sugar on me. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that's just a hard rock song. There's nothing particularly metal about that song. It's coming out of seventies glam really. Yeah. Right. Kind of got that yeah. David Essex type of thing. Yeah. Going on. But still the guitar riffs right on the verge, right? It could mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I get the, and I, I don't know their pre mutt catalog that well, but I think they skewed probably a little heavier before they got that kind of pop sheen from Mutt Lang in the 80s. Yeah, like they were, they, the first record was definitely kind of a, a, a straight up UFO influenced British hard rock record, a little more metal. And they were definitely considered part of the Nuobum. Okay, yeah. that was what I was going to say. Are they Nuobum? They are. They were, okay. they were part of the movement in the eyes of the press of like Sounds Magazine in the UK and uh, Krang and those guys. I think they would have said that they were part of that movement, but they really try to separate themselves from that and mutt came on for the next record for high and dry and with that record you know he'd already been working with acdc bringing almost more commercial elements to acdc with the right. black and black mm-hmm. record right 
So it's all starting there, right? And that's 1980, right where Ozzy is with Randy. It's an interesting time. And Def Leppard was right in there too. And then ACDC, we would also just put them in the hard rock category. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they kind of like define hard rock. Like if you're like, I want to hear hard rock, you put on ACDC. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's it. And then when you think, I mean, when you think about hair metal, which that again, almost feels like a thing that was devised by the press to, yeah. to yeah. discuss thinking about that terminology and bands that sometimes were lumped in with hair metal. I can think of two more groups that are in the hall that sometimes were called hair metal (laughs) rat (laughs) they were Um, you know they were sometimes called hair metal if it was like convenient but really uh, most people and i think the bands themselves would not call themselves hair metal uh the first one is guns and roses Mm-hmm. And then the other one is Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Those are, that's great calls. Yeah. The guns thing is very interesting, right? Because they were coming out around 85, 86 in, in the heart of all that in Hollywood, right? Yeah. But they were the anti, like they actually weren't playing down at Gazzari's on the Sunset Strip. They're playing like with like Jane's Addiction and stuff, like in the kind of sleazier, more underground scene, right? The Madame Longs and stuff kind of more Hanoi rocks, more punk, but still when it came time for MTV, you know, the mm-hmm. hair gets eased up and you, uh-huh. you want to, you want to sell some records, right? So yeah. they kind of were there, but busting through, they were, they really set things up for grunge to take over. It was kind of getting away from the pink and the pastels and the, and the guys in the makeup, the big hair, even though they had big hair, but getting a little more street. You know, I would never have made that connection that Guns N' Roses are the pathway to grunge. Yeah, yeah, because they were less glam. They still had a look. They were still like having- Hairspray was involved. Hairspray, scarves. (laughs) There were were multiple belts, um, things like that. hats of different variations but and like bangles yeah bangles yeah. there was accessorizing there were Absolutely. a lot there was a lot of accessorizing but it was taken in a different direction it was almost like it was a little more punk than that and yeah it got heavier and harder and then grunge came in and said no accessories except for a, a flannel shirt tied around your waist Full uh-huh. stop. Right. Yeah. It's interesting to think of them as a bridge because then that bridge immediately collapses, though, once you get to the other side. You know, I feel like Guns N' Roses, even if they like made the world safe for grunge and Nirvana, as soon as just the idea of 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 Guns N' Roses making the world safe for anything. I can't. But as soon as soon as grunge is established, it feels like everything immediately before it. It's like we don't care about it anymore. And I think Guns N' Roses loses a little yeah, bit. Of yeah, yeah, they fell on that bridge. That. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it, it's interesting if you think about it when Nirvana came out and was really blowing up, Guns was out on that tour with Metallica and Faith No More and doing like 80,000 mm-hmm. seats at the headline. Mm-hmm. So they were still there, but the thing was becoming a circus. Oh, yeah. More and more people on stage. All of a sudden there's background singers and a horn section and three mm-hmm. keyboard players. The thing's getting so big 
And eventually they didn't topple because of album sales. I think they toppled under their own weight of, of and the singer mm-hmm. went on and made that weird record that took 10 years to make. Mm-hmm. Chinese democracy. Which I love, by the way. I do love <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, we we think of them almost as separate eras, but then there are all those stories about like backstage at the VMAs, Axel and Kurt getting into fights and stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, they overlapped and both were very big simultaneously. It's amazing. When I think about that now, that's really, to me, that VMA incident, that's everything right there. That's where all that was horribly wrong about the metal movement at that time came crashing down when Kurt Cobain just kind of very passively stood up to Axl Rose. And the next thing you know, they're shaking trailers and stuff with, Wait, you know. I don't little- know about this moment. Can someone yeah. please? So the story, as, as I know it, and Sean, you can fill in any details yeah. I might be missing that you know, but Kurt and Courtney were like backstage at the VMAs, you know, I think goofing around, I, I think is the idea. And then Axel. Might like, have been on some substances. Who Yeah, could have been. But, but, you know, the, also there, they don't revere yeah, the they're they yeah, are, they're very um oh yeah. you have the word don't they're you? subversive. I mean they are not really yeah counterculture. They're, they're very like they don't give a shit what the anti-establishment. That's yeah, the they're word. Not, they're I not playing the game. For. You know, the MTV yeah. wants them there, but they are they mm-hmm. are still just kind of like whatever, you know, not they're taking like taking it too the piss seriously. out of the whole event. Yeah, yeah. that's right. They're 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 make fun of it. And they've already turned down Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses invited them to open up that tour. And they're already like, no, man, we don't want your homophobic bullshit. Like, you know, we're not opening up for you. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's there's some tension built into that. And uh, the story is Axel kind of muttered to Kurt, get your bitch in line, something like that. I might be paraphrasing, but like. Boy, my favorite type. Yeah, he referred to Courtney as your bitch, like keep your bitch in check. And then (laughs) the story is Kurt like rolled his eyes and looked at Courtney and went, Hey, bitch, stay in line. Like, obviously, very sarcastically. And I think Axel, like, tried to take a swing at him. Oof. And I think and- Stephanie Seymour was with Axel and said something to Courtney, like, are you a model? Yes. And then Courtney said, are you a brain surgeon or something like that? Like, there was some yeah. exchange to that effect. Oh, my God. It's, it is exactly, you are correct. That is the, that's like the 80s meets the 90s right there yeah. happening in time, those two competing kind of ethos of a misogynist rock star with a model girlfriend versus the two kind of anti-establishment, you know, Gen Xers who are sarcastic and- Exactly, sarcastic, like take, yeah, exactly, exactly. And building since, you know, that that whole rock and roll circus, that whole macho sexist thing had been building 60s, 70s. Oh, yeah. It's the way we do this. We've made it. We can be. And Mm -hmm. some guy, slight guy in a cardigan, you know, hunched over, destroys it. Yeah. By being inclusive, by making kids in America feel included. What an idea. Rather than we're above you. It's like, here we are. Yeah. You're not weird. And don't let people tell you that you're wrong. Like it was great. It was beautiful. No, it's totally true. What? I mean, wow. Profound. <laughs> it ruined my life though, because I finally got my hair right. And my pants right. I moved to a big city. I, had a, I, was, I thought I was going to get a record deal and I had to figure out how to do things different. But now I can look at it and say, yeah, that's probably good for humanity. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. In retrospect. So yeah, the, that's Guns N' Roses. And then the other one I mentioned, Bon Jovi, which sonically kind of nowhere near Mm -hmm. metal but again they've got the hair and they were there 
in the era. They've got the hair and they were there. <laughs> you know what? The funny thing with Bon Jovi, there was a choice made there. With Bon Jovi, when they came out, he had a choice to either go solo a la Billy Squire and be that guy or Aldo Nova at the time and, and kind of veer more pop, even Rick Springfield. But there was a conscious decision to put a band around him and make that hard rock because the management at the time said, look at metal fans, hard rock fans stay true and you'll have a longer career. If you play the hit game, you're only as good as your next hit. Mm. But if you get out there and we'll put you out opening for Scorpions and Judas Priest and you can hold your own, the combination of your kind of suburban Springsteen thing with this sound mm -hmm. and some seasoned vets behind you, we can go out and we can push this forward. And it worked. Because, yeah, you're right. The sound isn't really metal, but there's mm -hmm. some metal affectations. You know, there are some things. They made those records in Vancouver at Little Mountain Sound where bands like Loverboy were, were making records. And then that kind of crossover hard rock AOR sound was happening. Yeah, they definitely, they had the look. They had the look. They had the, yeah. they had the ramps, lots of ramps. I remember watching the videos and they're <laughs> running up and down ramps. It's like, whatever I do in my life, I need to be on a ramp at some point. Yeah, you got to get the ramps and the hair and- Did it happen? Did you get? Did you ever get a ramp, Sean? I got a ramp. Oh yes, I did with Nelly Furtado. <laughs> and you know what's funny? We were playing in Poland. It was like, there was 500,000 people at this big festival. And this stage was like, it was like a Rolling Stones thing. And she even said it then. She goes, when you do your solo, run out. I spent a lot of money. We're going to blow up lots of stuff. <laughs> I was like, well, really? She said, go, go. And the pyro was going off. And I was like playing. Shredding. Oh, yeah. Like in my mind, I was trying to think, be Eddie Van Halen, be Randy Rhodes, be, be all these guys, because you'll never get a chance to do this again in your life. That's incredible. Is there, is, there is there footage of that show? Yeah, uh, there is. I'll, I'll, I think it was it was called The Tall Ship Races. It was in Chichin, Poland. Chichin, Poland. Okay. I don't, please don't ask me to spell that, but there's a lot of S's, C's, and Z's. Yeah, it's like my last name. Oh, yeah, uh, I see it. S C S Z C Z E C I N. Yeah. Chechen? Chechen, maybe. Yeah. Chechen. And what is the song that you shredded on? Oh, I can't remember. I think it was it was probably Say It Right. We used to end on Say It Right. So. Oh, yeah. Nelly Furtado, Tall Ships Races, 2013. Shetchen. I'm so happy that you, you got to live out your ramp fantasy. And my other, I, I have two. Can I share one more? Please. Oh, yes. oh, my God, please. My first concert I ever saw was in 1985. It was a band called Helix uh, with a band called Honeymoon Suite, two Canadian bands that made a little bit of, in, made a, some inroads in the States, but were very popular in Canada. They also had ramps. They, they were co-headlining, so they shared the ramp space at different <laughs> times. But I've actually had a chance to play and record with both those bands. So even though I wasn't on the ramp at the same time, spiritually, I made it onto the ramp, I felt like. Yes. Yeah, that is. It's a symbolic ramp. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a ramp to your heart. Yeah, that's right. Up. What I want to do is I want to start talking about Randy Rhodes. But uh, yeah. before we do that, why don't we take a quick break and we will be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. Uh, we hope over your break. You thought about a life well lived. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. We hope you did that. Okay, great. So main event, let's talk about Randy Rhodes and Sean, I'll, I'll start with just kind of a uh, general question, which is kind of two pronged. One is if you remember the first time you heard Randy Rhodes, 
And then the second is just kind of generally like what he means to you. I definitely do. The first time I heard Randy Rhodes was actually after he'd already passed. It was in 1987. And it was on, I came to Ozzy's music quite late. I heard an album called Tribute. I actually have it here. The Randy Rhodes Ozzy Osbourne Tribute. Mm -hmm. It was a live album that they put out. And it was, that was actually the first time, first time I ever heard Crazy Train. So that was, Crazy Train was the first thing I ever heard from Randy. And it was with that album. And that was a time when I was just starting to play guitar fairly seriously and buying all the guitar magazines. And there was this whole narrative that went along about how important Randy was to Ozzy. He, he resuscitated his career. He was this, you know, statuesque kind of guitar God. Like it was, there was a whole story that went along with how huge this guy was. So really this was a time when I couldn't just access a whole album's worth of song. I had to save the money up and go buy the record, but I uh-huh. seen the video and I had the guitar magazine. So I read about it. He was already in my mind, one of my, top three guitar players from one song and what i now know is marketing but back then i believe <laughs> you know like gospel truth that's when i first got into him and then of course i bought that album went back and bought the two studio albums he did with ozzy and uh, randy has been a huge part of my life he's one of the inspirations for me playing classical guitar and uh he's always been an inspiration for the way i f- try to phrase my my own lead guitar playing he was a perfect package because as much as we want to think as musicians, it's all just about the music. It was never just about the music for me. It was also about the image and Mm -hmm. the aura and his felt genuine because I thought he looked cool because he was so into his music, but he still had this kind of perfect rock star based on Mick Ronson kind of vibe going on. Right. Mm -hmm. Mick Ronson being David Bowie's uh, player for a very long time. Anyway, he, Randy's, he meant so much to me that when I had a chance, I I actually made a classical guitar record for universal music here. And uh, they wanted me to do kind of like, you know, one of those, they called it the number one classical guitar album, not because I'm anywhere near the number one guitarist, (laughs) but because it was like a hit series, right. They did number one piano, number one opera, all the Uh pieces you'd know. I said, we have to put D by Randy Rhodes on there. Why do we do that? All, all this other stuff's public domain. Why do we have to pay publishing on the, you know, as, as a record company would do? Yeah. I said, because more kids picked up a classical guitar because of D than they did because of Bach or Perica mm-hmm. or Soar. And I really believe that. Like he inspired us because he, we would read the magazine articles about how he was going to leave Ozzy to go pursue classical guitar, you know? And he was really a gateway into more serious music for me. So I owe him a lot beyond the rock inspiration. It was a classical inspiration and just the general music inspiration to find new sounds and and mix those sounds together. Incredible. So why don't we, uh, why don't we just kind of go through chronologically Randy's life and career and what he was about. He was born in 1956 in Southern California to a musical family. Uh, His mom started a music school. So he was surrounded by that kind of thing. He, He started taking like you said, classical guitar was the foundation of so much of his work. And he started doing folk and classical guitar at a really early age at like seven. And then legend has it that he you know, switched to electric guitar lessons and rock guitar lessons and got so good so fast that his teacher had to go to his mom and be like, we're done. Uh, <laughs> that's a, he's, a, he's pretty much surpassed me. Like I've taught him everything I can teach him. That's got to be it. 
and she thought he was joking and he was like, I'm not, he's going to have to, he's going to, he's going to have to teach. And I think he, he did start teaching in addition to at that point, he's like 16 or something. And he's like starting bands, starting cover bands and friends from school and that kind of thing. And starting to play around the, uh, the LA circuit. I'm always so jealous of people who grew up in a musical family or who their parents just were like from an early age were like, you're going to learn an instrument. One of the times in my life that I felt the dumbest is trying to read music. I wanted to learn how to play piano and I just, or, or I even like joining the band in junior high and just like trying to read music. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm actually, I, I might not be smart. Um, <laughs> this is how I find out I'm dumb. <laughs> I was like, this is how I find out I'm dumb. Yeah. So it, it is said that a, 1971 Alice Cooper concert that he attended with his brother was really the game changer for him. And then that it was like, Oh, I'm going to do that. And, you know, Glenn Buxton was the the guitar player in the uh, Alice Cooper band. And he was like, I want to do that. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to work hard and do that. And then not long after there's a, uh, you know, assortment of musicians in the LA scene, including, you know, his, his buddy from high school, some other guys they met and they form a band called quiet riot and it's not the quiet riot that you know it's not the quiet riot that really anybody knows you know they were hot on the la scene kind of more glam rock than hair metal and because this is like the 70s this is like the mid to late 70s even though they're very hot in the la scene their first two albums are not released in America. They are only released in Japan. Have you heard those albums, Sean? I know them intimately because I actually had to write soundalikes for the songs from those two albums for a documentary about Randy called Randy Rhodes, The Quiet Riot Years. So I actually had to sign legal disclaimers indicating how I was going to change these compositions so we could get insurance for me to do the soundalikes. So I went in and deep dove on those first two records because they, the, the director, the producer wanted, they wanted certain feelings, certain things, and they were having a hard time getting the rights, securing the rights to mm-hmm. the song. So, and I have to tell you, they're not very good. It's not good music to me. I mean, there's moments that are kind of cool, but it's certainly not the Randy Rhodes we would see come out on that first Aussie record. Would you say your soundalikes are better? <laughs> I'd say they're a right, a right in the same ballpark. A lateral move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like there was, you know, there was cool stuff, but it's just compared to what we come to know and, and what the world knows of Randy's music, those first two records, I mean, they're okay, but it, it's, it's like you said, it was... It was coming out of the glam rock, the Rodney Rodney Bingenheimer scene, you know, it's kind of glam rock, a little bit hard rock, a little Steve Mary, a little humble pie in there, Mm -hmm. Uh, but but not fully formed. And even Randy's mom has come out, Dolores Rhodes and said, you know, Randy never wanted the kids to have those records. You know, he wasn't proud of those records. Mm -hmm. And he was proud of the work he did with Ozzy. And and Dolores used to give him a hard time because he would, you know, he'd say, Mom, I made I made a record. And she said, That's not good. (laughs) Wow. Music teacher, right? Yeah, Sorry, she knows. that's not very good. She knows. Were there any signs of Randy's abilities or maybe what would come in, in those albums? Oh, for sure. Like the tone and the confidence and the execution, you know, he you can hear in the fingers, they call it the bone tone, right? Like he could, he was had 
his beginning sound. But you know, if you go and find YouTube footage of him playing live with Quiet Riot and doing like his solo guitar spot, you get a much better picture. He was actually much further ahead. Sometimes when you're doing those nascent recordings, there's all sorts of factors why you don't capture your best performance. It's your first time in this sterile, isolated environment. Mm -hmm. You know, you might have limited time to get it right or dial up a sound. You're confined by the volume or whatever, the, the, the gear that you have at your disposal. But live, when you hear him live, he was actually a much accelerated player than what was represented on those records. The bone tone. The bone tone, yeah. I'm going to yeah. yeah. write that I'll down. never forget. I love it. That's a little bra it. science there for you. Sorry, that's a really... <laughs> no, I love it. But, but, it is, but it is a thing. Because really... That is the rest of the stuff they try and sell you. It, it's all great, but it all it does come to just how you touch an instrument. Yeah. The bone tone. The bone I love tone. it. <laughs> I'm like, why has no one named their album or their band the bone tone or the bone tones? The bone tones. There's a ska band somewhere waiting. Yeah, it's oh, for sure. For sure. A <laughs> Halloween themed ska band. Oh, gosh. I think we just formed it. I yeah, think we I did. Think what's happening right it's here? It's always right been now. my dream to be the singer in a ska band. I grew up it's in happening. the 90s. Um, so. The Mighty Mighty Bone Tones. Mighty yes. Bones. So, also, I just want to, I don't know if there's anything else to say, but like, I think that's a very interesting gig you had to try and capture the spirit of what these recordings sounded like without plagiarizing them yeah it was it was an interesting thing and and because the dvd got made and it accompanied a beautiful coffee table book but there were some legal problems with mm -hmm. the Rhodes estate and this was like a big deal it was coming out like a, there was a big guitar world article on it and it kind of got held up somewhere but it was a really cool documentary I, i've got my dvd copy of it which i'm quite pleased of it was an interesting thing because really listen there's only 12, we're, we're all banging around the same 12 notes, right? In Western <laughs> music. So there's only so many permutations. After a while, what's a copyright infringement? I don't know. Does that, is there even <laughs> copyright anymore? Is that even a thing? But I guess you have to be careful not yeah. to make it. So it, it is one to avoid a litigious situation. And at least this way, they had insurance. I guess they were insured against such a thing. And I've made a strong enough case that I'd altered the compositions enough that I could call them original composition. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting, and must have been an honor to be the one chosen to replicate the Rhodes sound. It was just a fluke. I was a music director on a on a Canadian TV show, and the it was actually an American production company that was in. So I just kind of became buddies with the you know the production manager, the stage manager, the one of the head honchos. I, I don't know what it is in TV because I'm ignorant, but uh, <laughs> turns out he was a student of Randy's. We get oh, talking wow. about the amplifier collection. And by the way, I'm doing a documentary and oh my God, we didn't get the music. Can you do this quick? I'm like, yeah. So I'm, I'm doing the TV show during the day, running down to my basement studio at night and trying to cut this, to put it together. Yeah, that that's so cool. So cool. It's very, yeah, very so anyway, cool. kind of neat. And, and it was neat because he had the connection with Randy, this fellow. A, uh, a literal student, not just a yeah, yeah, like he student. Yeah, like guitar with Randy Rose. Like, how cool, you know? That's very, very cool. Yeah, and like, not only did he teach, but, you know, there are stories throughout his whole career, like while he was touring with Ozzy, that whatever city they were in, if he had some time, he would go take a class like a what's well, i think specifically it was classical he was looking to That's get great. back into so there's a lot of people out there who both taught and were taught by by a legend which is, is pretty crazy to think about and, and he'd end up being better than the teachers sometimes and he'd be paying to give them a lesson 
Yeah. <laughs> Rudy Sarzo wrote that in his book. He said, yeah, he did. He ended up, Randy ended up teaching them and then giving them money. And, and Rudy Sarzo was uh, the bass player with Quiet Ride for a time and then also joined the Ozzy band for a time. We don't talk a lot about musicians who keep learning and honing their craft. The fact that he'd be like, oh, I'm in a new city. I should see what the scene is like. If anybody can teach me anything, I don't know. That is a very cool perpetual student way to approach life. And granted, I know he was quite young still at the time, but I think so many artists, they're like, well, I know my thing. I do my thing. And that's enough. It's amazing to me. He had that perception at that young age, because I know what I was like when I was on the road when I was young and I wasn't looking for a classical guitar teacher. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to be that, that that mature and that in tune with your artistry. It is not a, a rock star move at all. You know, yes. it's humble in a way. And uh, I think very endearing as well. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about the departure from Quiet Riot into the Ozzy band. Yeah. He was reluctant to do this audition because, you know, Ozzy had left Black Sabbath at this point. This is around 1979. Ozzy was a bad drunk, even for the band Black Sabbath, who, you know, they all, you know, dabbled in their substances, but Ozzy was a, a pretty severe enough one that he got kicked out of the group and he's the singer. And that, you know, that's got to be pretty rough. So Ozzy, though, still is a, super famous guy, especially in that world of, of hard rock. And he's forming a new band. And I think even at that time, it wasn't presented as who's going to be in my backing band. It was more like I'm creating a new band. Mm -hmm. Randy was reluctant, had to be kind of cajoled into doing it. And, you know, th there's a few different stories on this, but, you know, I think the one that Ozzy said was like he immediately was like within seconds like oh my god yeah you this you're, you're the best and you're gonna be in the group and i think randy has had even said like i was just like warming up like i was just kind of like <laughs> tuning and like getting my my stuff ready and then it was just uh, that was enough yeah it was a guy named dana strum and dana was uh, uh is the bass dana player. strum yeah yes. That's and he was a so he was more plucking maybe than strumming but yeah, yeah, it's uh, the rich and compelling irony, really. And um, but he, he's in the band Slaughter now, and, mm -hmm. and you know, up all night in one of the hair metal bands. Ozzy had gone to see him play at the Starwood, and he was in a Sabbath tribute. So he goes, "Okay." He walked in and goes, "I'm going to take you. You're going to be my bass player." So he gets him, and he knew Randy. So you're right. He had to cajole Randy. Randy didn't didn't want to go do it because he. Randy actually didn't listen to a lot of music. This is what's weird. He liked Alice Cooper and he liked a few things, but he didn't really like Black Sabbath. So he didn't really want to go check it out. And he was he was happy with his band. And yeah, you're right. He showed up with this little practice amp, plugs it in, plays a few things. O Ozzy's in a drunken stupor and kind of hears a few things and goes, you're hired. And then promptly, I think, forgets that he hired the guy the next day. Uh -huh. But then is reminded and goes, oh my God, I hope this guy's going to be good. And Turns out he was good. So, <laughs> but, I mean, there's all sorts of stories, right? And I think there were so many people auditioning at the time. Ozzy was probably just, you hear too many guitar players after a while. It's like, oh my God, what's good anymore? So when somebody does have legitimate character and an individual style, it, it would have to be present for it to stand out in the midst of all that guitar noise, right? Right, yeah. And, and to break through whatever uh, condition he was in. Yeah. You know? 
a lot of lewds in Hollywood. <laughs> a lot back of lewds. Locaine, <laughs> um, the Blizzard of Oz. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Truly. Not only did he have to be cajoled to audition, I believe he had to be cajoled to take the job. You know, because he was in a band that he formed, and it was like important to him. It was his mom who encouraged him. Said, "Randy, you have to take this shot. You have to go with this guy. You need to go to England." Like she saw the opportunity. And I think that that's, that's pretty telling, you know, he was quite happy just kind of do his He's thing. Like, and I don't like these quiet riot albums anyway. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> She's like, I don't think your own music is that good. Go with this alcoholic to the UK. You uh, should work out fine. <laughs> and I think I mean, oh wait, we can. <laughs> and if I uh, recall correctly, he flew to the UK and they were like, okay, where's your work visa? They're like, uh, I didn't, wasn't told I was supposed to bring a work visa. And they were like, like, okay, I'm 22. (laughs) (laughs) I have never thought about this in my entire life. And I think they sent him back all the way back. And then it got sorted out. And then he went back to the UK. Yeah. Gosh. Which is uh, very silly. You know, at one point, though, the label was Jet Records, right? Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. that was Don Arden who managed managed Ozzy and managed Black Sabbath. They really wanted a British or European guitar player, probably for that reason, right? They were looking at Gary Moore and they were looking at Michael Schenker, I think, at one point, and Bernie Torme and all these these other people who were kind of in the periphery, right? But Ozzy found Randy. And, and there's there was actually that's why Dana and Frankie Benali, who went on to be in Choir Riot, weren't in the band either, because they wanted the British band, but Randy was gonna be part of that band. And just a, a quick footnote, the guy who had been the singer of Quiet Riot would a few years after this form a new band, ask Randy and then the other guys who were in the original band, is it okay if I do this? And they were like, fine. And that's the band that did come on Feel the Noise. That's what you think of as quiet, right? Right, exactly. The classic lineup, yeah. That band had been, I mean, once Randy left, it was like, oh, the band's done. But then, you know, later it was, I guess, reimagined, you could say, by the the lead singer, Kevin. And Sean, you can tell me, did they start touring immediately or did they start to write Blizzard of Oz? They started coming up with the songs. They, they got mm-hmm. in and it was uh, Lee Kerslake, who's a drummer for Uriah Heep, and uh, bass player Bob Daisley from Rainbow and uh, Mungo Jerry. Remember Mungo Jerry? Money, yeah. And, and amongst amongst some other, I think he was in a band called Widowmaker too, but really from Rainbow. So they came together and they were the writing team. And, you know, it's funny, as amazing as Randy is, and he certainly was the creator of so many riffs and so many parts, Bob Daisley doesn't get as much credit. He was, it was really Daisley and Kerslake had the experience of arranging Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a big part. And really, Bob Daisley wrote most of the lyrics. If Bob Daisley's to be believed, and other people have kind of come up and said this, but, you know, he was a big part of that. But it was Randy, Randy's sound, yeah. and Randy's riffs, mm-hmm. energy. And like, I mean, it was together. It, it's like when you write as a band, it doesn't matter who does what. And mm-hmm. Ozzy's in there too, because Ozzy has a great ear for melody. He mm-hmm. might be humming a serial commercial or something, but he's singing these great Beatlesque, Lennon-esque melodies, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And so the Blizzard of Oz album, this is the Ozzy's first album. Originally, Blizzard of Oz was going to be the name of the group, of the That's new right. group. Uh, and that this wasn't going to be Ozzy solo and the album was called Blizzard of Oz. And that, you know, when you think about the fact that there was all this creative contribution from the band 
Mm-hmm. And that makes starts to make sense because you're like, oh yeah, this was a group that was collaborating and working together and they were all writing stuff and they were all contributing the way that a band does, not necessarily the way that you think of like a, a solo group. artist with a band. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it was under that auspice that they got Lee Kerslake and Bob Daisley to join. It's like, so this is a band, right? Like we're not your side guys. We're doing this, right? We're the Blizzard of Oz. Okay. And then the album comes out and the name Ozzy Osbourne is so much bigger than than Blizzard of Oz. To the point where the album's called Blizzard of Oz and it's Ozzy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's, exactly. It just, that's just becomes what it is. But on that first album, you get Crazy Train. Which I think for a lot of people is the signature Randy Rhodes song. It is for a lot of people the introduction of him as a guitar player. It's an introduction of Ozzy as a solo artist. It is and continues to be to this to this day. It is, I'd say, the signature song for both of them. You know, and it's funny. As vilified as Ozzy Osbourne is as an artist, as you know, Satan worshiping, animal defiling, you know. Oh no! Uh, actually, people just love him now. He had a reality show. I don't know. He's oh, America's yeah, right. dad. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all over. That's We've right. forgotten about that completely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still remembering as a kid trying to defend myself against my parents trying to steal my records and smash them. I come yeah. from a real record smashing family. Oh uh, gosh, <laughs> So sorry. We were good. Oh, it, was, it was it was good sport. It was good sport. <laughs> but uh, sorry, what was I saying there? So we were talking about crazy train. Yeah, and crazy even train. as as and like you, say, you know, Aussie, oh, yeah. you know, it's so positive. It's a hippie song. It's like we're going off the road. What's happening with the world? We have to be nice to each other. This is crazy. Mental wounds not healing. He's so sensitive. Like you know, he's uh, who am I to blame? I'm going off the rails. Like this is terrible. So it was pretty life affirming stuff, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was like like I said, I really think it's the start of. The, the, the whole kind of pop metal movement because it was a heavy riff. That, da, na, 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 na. So great and powerful. Ass kicking, as you'd say, Kristen. Like, it's Absolutely. Like, but then there's a... Yeah. It's this major key melody against that offset by this crazy minor key riff. It's really brilliant stuff. And then a mind-melting solo. Yeah, and and it, that, that solo really has all of, of Randy's idiosyncrasies, right? You know, he's got the some of the two-hand tapping stuff, the, the, the scale stuff, the classically-influenced scale stuff, and also just some kind of pure good old rock and roll pentatonic stuff. It's a whole package. It's if you wanted to kind of get a really good overall view of what Randy was about, I think that's a great place to start as popular as that song is. Yeah. And then kind of the the sleeper of that album that maybe the casual person who listens to the radio might not know, but your heavy metal guitar fans will sing the praises of is Mr. Crowley. Absolutely. Mr. Crowley. What went on in your head? It's like an orf opera for metalheads, right? Like it's just this kind of heavy, dark, romantic, classical thing. And 
I remember how proud I was when I learned that end. So it took me forever, like, you know, and like dropping the needle on, you know, pulling the, the oh, wow. doing that thing over and I over. Mean, I, yeah. did have, I had the benefit of the guitar tablature. So I had the, I did have some help. I, I didn't suffer like the kids in the seventies, but I had my, I, I was YouTube list. So <laughs> tell you yeah. anyway, yeah. but learning that and, and, and just how wonderful it felt under the fingers. sound what i loved about randy was he had this kind of linear logical thing it felt good physically to play his lines there was something that just felt really great and really natural and really connected with me and i think a lot of players have adopted that you hear that you still hear that kind of sequential linear playing in heavy metal to this day and he was big he took it from people like richie blackmore and michael shanker but he elevated it and he refined it and uh, injected it with melody. And like I said, with the kind of cool Mick Ronson 1972 Spire from Mars, just freak out in a mood age daydream, crazy <laughs> noises too. Mm-hmm. Like it sounded like a jet taking off or something exploding when he was playing. It was a big sound. You know, when you said Mick Ronson, it made me think of his of his look again, because, yeah. you know, he, he similar haircuts, like the kind of the mullet type thing. And then I think about the fact that he is, you know, so so metal and yet his style on his guitar is polka dots that's it he's coming out in 1974 hollywood right like you know it was like <laughs> they're all like into the uk glam stuff right it's and conti- yeah continues that's like kind of the signature guitar for randy it has these uh even though i think it's black and white it still has you know polka dots on it which doesn't look metal yeah but it's but like a flying v guitar it is a flying you know? v it's- yeah <laughs> Yeah, it was I the, just looked I, it up. I didn't know that. Um. <laughs> Sandoval, I think he made that guitar. Yeah, the flying, and then he made the more offset, pointier one. That, that oh uh, yeah, that one is cool too. That 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 became and like there's still that's still the Jackson Randy Rhodes is like a staple heavy metal guitar. You go look at any number of heavy metal bands still playing to this day. That Jackson Randy Rhodes offset pointy. When people think of the pointy guitars of the '80s. Mm-hmm. really that to me is where that starts interesting and so they tour and then the next album that they do is called diary of a madman so the songs that i think people would know off of this album flying high again yeah which has a great riff and solo. Then uh, over the mountain, maybe less heard, but that's it. That's another one that had, you know, it's got the hallmarks of of a great Ozzy and Randy song. Over the 
it's really like it was like Sabbath 2.0 in a way, even though Sabbath was also doing Sabbath 2.0 with Dio, but it's like all these kind of uh, flattened fifths riffs and all these kind mm-hmm. of really Sabbathy things, but with a more modern tone, brighter sounding, a little more up tempo. This was during, I think the album had been recorded, but not long after there was some ugliness with Bob and Lee getting kicked out of the group. Well, they did the record and they wrote, co-wrote and played on it, but they're not pictured on the record, nor were they initially credited on the record. Right. You saw a picture of Tommy Aldridge and Rudy Sarzo. And the reason... I've heard varying stories, but the reason the reason I heard they left was, you know, they were starting to ask about the financials. These are seasoned pros going, hey, this isn't what we signed up for. Wait a second. You have us playing two shows on a day. You're making twice the revenue. I should be getting, you know, like just asking. Mm -hmm. So basically, Sharon learning good lessons from her father or good, bad, whichever way you want to take it. Managerial. Right. So, so just to give a little bit of a background, uh, Don Arden, who was a very famous manager, his daughter, Sharon Arden, who would become Sharon Osborne, had picked up the reins of managing Ozzy and then obviously would eventually marry him and they would have a reality show. Just, I just yeah, wanted to I'm give like, a little- Yeah, most, some people might know her as the mom on the Osborne's <laughs> reality show. Anyway, I just wanted to give a little background on, on some great. of these names that you were saying, but yes, uh, continue. Yeah, so where were we? were saying- So Sharon is like, they're asking too many questions. They're getting too wise. They yeah. want too much money. Get them out of here. Let's get some people who will ask for less or ask less questions. Yeah, you know, and and so they, they find uh, Tommy Aldridge, who I guess they- Tommy, I think before that, I'd been playing with Pat Travers, Black Oak, Arkansas. And, and then Randy brought his friend, Rudy. They'd been playing together in Quiet Riot, right? And that was the lineup that ended up touring Dire Mammon and, the, and the, the lineup you see. And you hear that lineup on that Randy Rhodes tribute album as well. So they really became the more famous lineup for, you know, Rudy, Tommy Aldridge, because they were the ones out touring the most. And unfortunately, were there when Randy tragically passed. And these guys, I know we're not doing an episode about Bob and and Lee, but I think worth mentioning that they contributed so much to the composition and the writing of these songs. And like you said, weren't given credit, both literally on the album and just kind of in in general. And then there was this really messed up situation where they re-released those first two albums in 2002 and they re-recorded the drums and the bass to take them out of it. Wait, what? Yeah, oh. just just oh. as a thing of like, we're tired of, you know, because there were lawsuits and stuff, you know, because they weren't getting the, the credit. And then it was like, there was a decision made from the Aussie camp of like, let's just re-record this with new 
drums and bass. So there's no evidence of them on these tracks at all. Even though they created these parts though, it's like, you can say oh, yeah. there's no evidence of them, but the evidence uh-huh. is the parts that they that wrote. They, yes, exactly. So. And the rhythm section on a rock record is just not something you can reverse engineer. You can't go back and change that chemistry. The results were abysmal and they had great players. I think it was Robert Trio from Metallica and uh, Pop Court. So yeah, Robert is a hall of famer in with Metallica. Tough gig for them. You can't go back. It's just, they and especially you there. can't go back what 20 years later yeah and also we've lived with these songs for 20 years great point and so it's gonna ring hollow i don't know and what it, they sound did. like but it i feel did. like you could tell it absolutely did and thankfully the fans were not having it and we're like, this will not stand. And people were very upset. Sometimes you should just um, pay people. <laughs> so I I think that you should just Wild pay concept. Wild concept. I think concept. That, that we should probably quit trying to screw people out of money and make more for ourselves. Maybe we should stop that. I listened to the lyrics of Crazy Train up close, and that's my feelings now. Like I now see, I got the message, Ozzy, and uh-huh, I think your wife uh-huh. needs to get the message. We gotta learn how to love, forget how to hate. Exactly. Thank like, you. Literally, let's go. So yeah, those two guys were were kicked out of the band, and you know, Randy was a loyal guy, and considered leaving the group as well, thinking like. They screwed these guys. And, you know, I wrote all these songs. And good with luck these guys. finding someone who can play my parts. <laughs> but I think even, even they were encouraging Randy to don't, you know, it's a good gig. Like, keep the gig. You know, that's really nice of you to stand up for us. But, like, don't be stupid. Thank you. But, but don't be stupid. I don't pull your head. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, what's funny. You know, Daisley kept coming back, though, to the Aussie camp to help write lyrics and play bass on records. Is that right? Well, that doesn't write up bark at the moon, ultimate sin. They always kept because Ozzy would get away and go ask them. I can't do without you, Bob. Please come back. And they'd figure out a sum. And, and even all, even the no more tears, right? That's Bob Daisley. What? Yeah, he'd either get a flat rate or he, I think he's credited now. I think in all yeah. the issues, they've been re, they've been credited. And I think Lee Kerslake passed away recently. And I think he actually got his gold and platinum albums. I'm glad. Those. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad too. I'm glad too. Maybe they were like, we got all this syndication money. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. we created the worst genre of television. Uh, we we can, don't uh, need the royalties yeah. from our records anymore. So the the tour after Diary of a Madman, I think, was a difficult one, partially because of some of the reasons that we mentioned. But I think Ozzy's drinking was getting kind of out of hand. I think some decisions were made that didn't sit well with everybody. I believe there was going to be a, I think there eventually was a live album of Sabbath songs played by Ozzy's band. That came after Randy had passed, though. So. Right, but I believe... Oh, right, Randy was aware it was coming up. You're right. And yeah. was not was not thrilled with it. and thought, He like, hated oh, playing the Sabbath songs live. And he so he wasn't into that. You know, also, Randy was not like a partier. Yeah, he's out taking classes, man. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's in a new town. He's like, where's the classical guitar teacher? Yeah. <laughs> and like Ozzy would get drunk and fire the band and then not remember the next day or he'd get drunk and be really mean. Yeah, there was punching of, of people. I think he even punched Randy once. I heard that he, he slugged him once and the rest of the band was like, what are you doing, man? 
you're you're bigger than him. Like, wait, wait. And you know, he was gonna go. He wanted to leave and study classical guitar at school. That was the rumor. Was that he was like, I'm gonna, I'll finish out the tour, but I think this is gonna be it. I think I'm, I'm gonna leave this behind. Yeah. And then sadly, he did not make it to the end of the tour. The story goes that they had pulled the tour bus over to fix a faulty air conditioner in the bus and they were at this they were by like a mansion and a hangar with a bunch of uh, small private planes and they were you know some other band members were catching up on sleep and then the bus driver was also a pilot or so he said yeah. um, oh, and no. was was taking people up to just kind of not just fly around but also to fuck around they were doing something that's called buzzing which is where you you are in the plane and you get way too low to scare the the people on the ground and i think it was also to like let's wake up tommy you know he thinks he can sleep we're gonna get real low and they did that a few times with other members of the group and then they would they would land and then people were going back up randy was afraid of flying Oh, no, 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 no. And there was there was a makeup artist whose name was uh, Rachel, Rachel Youngblood. Youngblood. She and Randy were going to go on the plane, and he wanted to take some pictures for his mom from, you know, from the plane. Literally, and his mom has come up so many times. I know. And I really feel for her. Uh, yeah. Sorry, and I think I think Randy felt comfortable, even though they had been fucking around up there. This woman, Rachel, had a heart condition, so... He, the pilot had said, well, okay, we're, we're not going to do anything crazy. We're not going to do anything silly. Uh, we'll just go up there and we'll, we'll loop around and then come back. So he felt like, okay, if that's what's happening, then I'll do it. And he, he, did, he did the buzzing again. Only the, like the third time he did it, he crashed into the, into the bus, hit the wing. The wing came off and they did a horrifying crash into the garage of the nearby mansion. Did people on the bus die as well? No, no. Okay. I think it was Don Airy was the only person who was awake. You know, he thought he saw in the cockpit some sort of a struggle, and he thinks that Randy was able to move the plane so that it didn't hit the bus. There have been, I mean, like, no one will really know what happened. There are theories that this pilot was very upset with his ex-wife who was there and was maybe trying to kill her and was aiming wait, for the wait, bus. The Wait, the pilot's ex-wife was on the bus? Wasn't she, or, would, or was she at the house? I thought it was. Oh, like she might have been at the house. Yeah, she, she was in the in the. It area. was her mansion. I yeah, hate I mean, this. I, I can't in say a multitude I have of reasons. A, I mean, a ton of the details, and and again, it's a thing where like there's a lot of stuff we will never know. Uh, Sean, you can chime in with whatever it is you know. You know what? It's vague for me, but I, I think he had some affiliation with the nearby hangar. He had been a pilot there, and he lived in that vicinity. I think he was going to pick something up. They were getting something fixed, but he said, while we're getting this fixed, like, maybe we can go and stop it at my ex-wife's place. I can pick something up. And then mm -hmm. he took the plane out for a joyride. That's why he had access to this hangar. And yeah. Yeah, no, it, I, I, I can't remember the exact details. But. Man. But it was, it was a very grisly crash to the point yeah. where, I mean, they knew who was on the plane, but they would not have known based on the They wreckage. were like unidentifiable. Yeah. I really, yeah. so all of them, everyone on the yes. plane died. Uh, he was 25. 25 years old. This was in March of 82. 
And also like, that's like 1982. I guess in my mind, this is before his music became, he did not live to see the influence that his playing would have or understand the hard rock era that was about to really pop off. Yeah. He he didn't get to see any of that. And also he wanted to go play classical guitar and take pictures for his mom. If you think about how many people have abused themselves over the years and, and, and gone on to, you know, mm-hmm. make it through and survive. And here's this kid who 25, whole life ahead of him. And really, he might have partied a bit, but really, for all intents and purposes, led a pretty clean, clean lifestyle. And he was ambitious for higher gifts here, right? Like he was, he wanted to move on and really develop his musician. It, it, it's sad how short. You can only wonder what would have come of this because he had just won, I remember the Guitar Player Magazine, Rising New Star or something. And mm-hmm. I and I, I think you can find this on YouTube. There's an interview where he's saying, okay, I've got a real responsibility here to get better because people are looking at me, young people are looking at me. So I just want to work on getting better. Like he took it seriously. He saw people are now listening to him. He has to go, he has to get better so that he can continue having a positive influence. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Also, I'm reading that he was an avid collector of toy trains. Wow. And he traveled around England in search of them when he first was on tour there. And that's yet another endearing Randy Rhodes fact. That's really a brutal ending to this journey. I really, uh, yeah, let's it's, it's, it's awful, but let's, let's talk a little bit about his legacy. You know, you've said it before, Sean, but the kind of pop meets hard rock under the metal umbrella like that starts with the Ozzy Randy collaboration and then only gets bigger from there. I think that was one offshoot of Randy's influence. The other one was that he was right coming out of the same kind of California suburban thing as Eddie Van Halen, right? Like they were in the clubs together, rising up. Eddie, Mm -hmm. of course, bloomed faster and took off and Randy used to say, man, it kills me that I, I do some of Eddie's licks. He used to do some finger tapping licks in his soul because Randy was trying to, you know, get the kids excited. And that was a new style of playing. Sure. But he, we did, what he didn't know at the time was how influential his innovation would be for mm-hmm. metal guitars down the road. He was introducing classical scales and classical tonalities to the masses before like Ingve Malmsteen kind of came to fruition. Ingve Malmsteen is a really technically gifted player who influenced a lot of people, but Randy was really important. We hear Randy Rose licks today in heavy metal, the guitar innovation, like the design innovation, the look, the sound, we still hear his playing everywhere. He never, he would have never known that. Now he's being inducted this year, which is very exciting. Let's talk a little bit about what his induction might look like. Typically the way it goes, you see a little documentary, someone inducts them, someone accepts you know, in this case, someone would accept on his behalf, and then there would be some sort of tribute performance. That's t- typically how it goes for a posthumous induction. Uh, there are many, many more inductions happening this year than usual, mm-hmm. and we think that it's likely that there won't be a speech. There will just kind of be the documentary, some sort of acceptance, and then a tribute performance. But let's talk about who we think could, if there was a speech, or even if it's just the documentary with a lot of talking heads. Who would be the people that would do this honor and maybe perform in the tribute performance as well? Tom Morello. Yes, that's the first one I was going to say. Yeah, I definitely think Tom Morello. Yes. 
he's the reason for the season as far as Randy Rhodes is concerned. Like I, there's no world where Randy Rhodes gets in the rock hall when Tom Morello is not on the nominating committee. I think we can look at him single-handedly for making this induction happen. I think he will be involved if there's a speech, if there's a tribute performance. I found out recently Tom Morello's first son is named Rhodes. Wow. And I, I had, so like it goes deep. Like this is very, very meaningful to him. So I think Tom will be all over this. I could see them doing a medley makes the most sense to me than playing the full song so that you can like, you can get all the solos in, like you can oh, really like cram them in. All the riffs, yeah. But like if they just play a song, Crazy Train makes a lot of sense. That's not only a crowd pleaser, but that like, like we've said before, it like really showcases what Randy did so well. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, uh, Sean, does anyone else come to mind as like a descendant of Randy that you could see the Rock Hall involving in the tribute? Yeah, I could see Zach Wild, who was mm-hmm. actually someone who followed in Randy's footsteps and took the Aussie gig. Um, there was Jakey e. Lee and then Zach Wild because Zach was very similar in that even when Ann, uh, when Ozzy hired him, he said, look at the pictures that oh, look at Randy Rhodes clothes here. You know, he's got the long blonde hair, plays classical guitar. But he had his own style, but when it came to playing those Randy parts, he played them with precision. And he treated him, he always in the press treated Randy with reverence. Mm-hmm. And I think he did a lot for carrying on that tradition. I was looking up Zach Wild because I was like, who's this person? I don't know this person. Zach with two Ks, Wild with a Y, of mm-hmm. course. Some things we got to talk about are the names of his children, the names of Zach Wild's <laughs> children, his firstborn. There are one, two, three, four names before we get to Wild. And the four names are Hendrix, Halen, Michael, Rhodes, Wild is the <laughs> name of one child. That is that is his first child's name. What is his second child's name? Sabbath, Sabbath. Wild. Sabbath we, Page. So you've oh. got Jimmy Page in there too. Oh, I didn't they didn't list that on the one I'm looking at. And then we have Haley Ray Wild. What poor thing. And then I just see Jesse. And then just Jesse Wild. Okay. <laughs> they used all the names on their first kid. I cannot believe the name of of that's this. that's really something like yeah. Hendrix, Halen, Michael, Rhodes, Wild. Wow. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So yeah, maybe <laughs> I don't I don't know if he's well known enough. I think he'll be probably maybe in the if they do a dot. I could see him in, in the tribute as well. I mean, like he is. You know, Randy Rhodes is the most prominent uh, and well known and famous Aussie guitar player, but Zach Wild is a close second. I remember growing up getting Guitar World magazine. My man's on the cover a lot. And whereas Randy had the black and white polka dots, Zach's was a, a black and white like target on his yeah. guitar. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he's wearing a kilt in some pics too. Cool guy, a lot of facial hair. Seems very metal. He seems like he kicks ass. I also wonder... Do you think like Ozzy will do the induction if the, I think that Ozzy would give the speech? Maybe. That's a good question. I mean, like if they play crazy train and they get, and Ozzy is there to sing it. I mean, like I, you got to imagine Ozzy will be involved in some capacity. I believe he was there when black Sabbath was inducted. I don't think like a lot of musicians who have a kind of whatever opinion of the rock hall, I think because it's Randy, I think he would put any differences he has with the hall aside. And it would be incredible if he, if you participated in some sort of live performance. Wait, I'm sorry. Ozzy has beef with the hall. Not, I'm saying, not necessarily that he has beef, but I just, you know, 
he's not somebody who's showing up all the time. A lot of metal guys and rock guys. I mean, Black Sabbath also, it's, that's a case where like it weirdly took them a long time to get in. So mm. like, I don't think there's a ton of love there, but I'm, I'm seeing now. Yeah. That in a 1999 letter, Ozzy famously told the institution to just take our name off the list. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, so yeah, he's, he's not schmoozing. He's not playing the game, but I do think, yeah, I would hope that if, if when it comes to honoring him, he would, he'd be in. Yeah. I hope so. Uh, Sean, anybody you'd like to see. I, I would have loved uh, if, if Eddie hadn't have passed, I would have loved to have seen Eddie because they, they came up as contemporaries. I think that yeah. could have been really poignant. It was a really nice moment to me that it's more guys. Like I'd love to see like George Lynch from docking. Cause he was right there in the mix too. And actually mm-hmm. he didn't get the Aussie gig and went and took Randy's teaching gig. When Randy, <laughs> was so he went to go teach for Dolores when Randy got the gig. Yeah. So I thought that might have been a cool story, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it, to talk about that and see what it was like. And because he always speaks so highly of, of Randy, too. Oh, no, no. Rodney Big, I was going to say Rodney Bigenheimer, but he probably wouldn't have known Randy. Randy just used to sneak into his club. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Back when he was a, when he was a kid. Yeah. Kid, yeah. Well, it's going to be fun to see how, how they put this induction together. And I think, especially because Tom Morello is so close to the hall, he's going to make sure that it is done right. And so I think that'll be great to see. Sean, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us and in, in doing the show and your love of Randy is infectious. And I, I know it's rubbed off on us and I hope it has rubbed off on our audience uh, as well. Yeah, this was really fun. I, I really appreciate it. And I have to tell you, I, I just hearing you guys talk about the hall now, I'm completely intrigued in the process. <laughs> so now, now I'm going to keep diving on this and finding out more. So thank you. Oh no, we're sorry. Or I'm sorry. Joe's not sorry. Joe's I'm like saying, one, of us. Yeah. one of us. Um, well, I want to give you the opportunity to, if you want to plug anything, I know you've written some books and uh, you know, if you've got any live dates coming up, anything at all. Yeah. You know what? The, the, the most recent thing that I, I, I just did was I worked with an amazing artist named Lee Aaron uh, here in Canada. And we just put out a record worldwide called radio on that actually just charted in germany and in switzerland in the top 30 so we're very thrilled and uh yeah radio on's out now and yeah my new my next book's not coming out till spring 23 so won't worry about that but okay. uh yeah but the newly Aaron record i'm very proud of uh, so check that out radio on if if you had to pick a song for me to i'm i can play it over the credits what would you oh, great uh, um first song vampin vampin awesome vampin great well, I'll play Vampin over the credits. Well, our listeners know they can follow us at Rock Hall Pod on Twitter and Instagram. RockHallPod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see that, you need to uh, designate that somewhere in your message. Otherwise, I'm not going to forward it and she doesn't want to read it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us, why don't you? Take a second. Take a minute. It won't be that long and you'll be so happy you did it. Give us five stars only, though. If you give anything less than five, it is cruel. It is a cruel thing to do, and I say that with all seriousness. Uh, Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. Thank you to Martin Popoff for the guest hookup. And thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall?
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 